You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Great. Well, we're going to turn to uh, portion six of our series on the book of Ephesians. And uh, our title of this series is This is Kingdom Living. If you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Jonathan Chan did a great job last week bringing forth a message around identity and purity and who we have become in Christ. As Paul moves from some of the, the foundational theology and doctrine, the wonder of the early three chapters that we're chosen, redeemed, adopted, that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, that that we are loved with a love that's beyond knowing, that, that His power is at work within us, Him who's able to do immeasurably more. These great statements that we are His workmanship, His His handiwork. We've been saved by grace through faith to do good works which He prepared in advance for us to do. And against this massive landscape of what God has done for us, we get this game-changing moment at the start of chapter 4 as if Paul clears his throat and says, okay, now let's get practical. What does this mean? What does it mean to live out as a called person? And uh, we've been there the last couple of weeks and we continue today. I'd like to invite Catherine Snell who's going to come and read uh, the scriptures for us today. Why don't you give Catherine a little welcome? Um, Thank you. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to chapter 6, verse 9. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. 
Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Amen. Catherine, thank you so much. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, and, and I, I bet you're glad you're not in my position this morning, unpacking these verses. Um, I've done some study this week, and uh, believe by the grace of God, as we journey through this, the Lord will help us to understand what is required of us. There are three clear areas in this portion of Scripture, uh, wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters. Of course, for many of us in the room, uh, this may feel super relevant. This is our lives. We're married. We've got children and so on. I'll make a comment about slavery in, in just a moment. Uh, maybe you're not married in the room. Maybe you'd like to be married. Maybe you will be married. But I want to say for all of us, I believe this is kingdom living and we can glean some truths relevant for us, even if it feels a little bit more removed. But before we turn to these sections, we, we have to acknowledge that the opening verse is really the foundation for what follows. And it's verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I wonder if we could say that together. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the word submit here, hypotasso in the Greek, is to come under, to yield, to defer. You know, Paul is, is very clear here that we must all, as Christians, behave in this way one to another, whether in the home, in the workplace, in church, in our friendships, as part of team. This is a new society of believers. He is, he is writing to the churches in the Ephesus region and helping them understand that things have changed. Their situation has changed, that the society, the culture they're in has changed, and we must live in this, this culture of mutual submission. You know, every Christian ought to be marked by a humility, a servant-heartedness, a propensity to want to serve others, an absence of rank in our hearts and in our actions. And so it doesn't matter whether you are in an area of responsibility. All of us in our hearts should be submissive towards one another, which means that we are gentle, we are humble, we are teachable. It says elsewhere, consider others better than yourselves and let your gentleness be evident to all. This is the gospel. This is what it means to be Christian. Of course, some of us are, are positioned with responsibility. As leaders, we're called and charged to lead. The Bible says to govern diligently, not to dither, not to be indecisive, to be clear, to, to bring a strength in leadership and a fullness of faith, but kingdom leadership is first and foremost servant leadership. The heart should never be, what can I get, but how can I give? And so the same for us in all of our lives, whatever our position, we learn to submit one to another. Now, how does this work out? Well, we've got an interesting situation right now on, on our teams, uh, just to illustrate. But this happens all the time, and this is the beauty of mutual submission in the church. You see, if the church were hierarchical, we'd have a problem right now, because Ryan and Sarah Orms are our young adults pastors, 
And Jonathan Chand is a cluster leader of young adults groups under their leadership. But now Jonathan Chand is overseeing all of our life groups. So Jonathan comes in that sense under them, but then they come under him. But next week, we're going to pray for Ryan Orms to come into eldership. So really his oversight, Jonathan, is under that. And the world would say, well, well, who's the boss? But the reality is, in kingdom living, it doesn't work like that. There's a submission of heart that says, how can I serve you? How can I help you? What, what do you think? How can I defer to your wisdom and complement with mine? And together we find the mind of the Lord. And this is how we ought to posture ourselves in our marriages, in our families, and in our places of work. With the mutual submission as a backdrop, Paul addresses households. And I think it's really important that we take a moment to understand the societal context of this letter. You see, Paul is writing at the height of the Roman Empire. The Greco-Roman culture is what exists in and around Ephesus. I alluded in speaking about the power of the picture of adoption of sons to the patriarchal society of the time, the power that was invested in the senior male. In society, typically households existed of extended families, either under one roof or a cluster of dwellings that were typically nearby. And the oldest male was the head. He was the patriarch. Under his oversight, there was, there was the wife, there was uh, any unmarried children, but also any married sons and their wives and their children, but the patriarch was the head. He had incredible powers. He had powers to discipline at law those within his family, including up to the death penalty if he deemed and it would not be questioned. Now, to us, that's unthinkable, but this is the society that we are finding a letter coming into. And Paul, even in the way he writes, writing to wives, writing to children, writing to slaves, that this letter would be read out in church and he would be addressing them was massively countercultural. It put a value on all in a society where the testimony of women, children, and slaves was not held at law. And I know we find that abhorrent, and we should, but that was the backdrop into which Paul is writing here. Besides this, honor was valued above morality. Gundry in his New Testament survey says, boasting was considered normal and appropriate. Humility was considered abnormal and mistaken. So, so we, I think in our culture, we underestimate the power of the words when Paul writes and says, submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. All in God's family are given value. We, we are brothers and sisters together. And this would have been a massive statement in and of itself. Of course, we could read when we come to slaves and masters and be shocked. Is, is the Bible endorsing slavery? Is, well, why is Paul not condemning slavery? Well, simply to say this, that the gospel values slaves and masters as brothers and as sisters, one with another. You know, this was incredibly revolutionary. And, and even inside Paul's instructions to the masters, reminding them, and we'll come to this in a moment, that they have a master in heaven, he, he there is carrying the seeds of an abolitionist theology. There is something here that says to the master, this is not your chattel, this is not your tool, this is your brother. 
but he's not addressing society and, and the structure of society in his letter. That's not his purpose. There may be other places where he engaged in those types of conversation, as centuries later, William Wilberforce would. But here, he's writing to the church, and he's talking about how do you behave within the context of how you find yourselves? And I think it's important that we understand that. He himself is writing in chains for the gospel. And in Colossians, interesting, he doesn't say, pray for me that I break out. He says, pray for me that I may be a witness to Christ in these chains. While I'm here in prison, may I be a great witness for Jesus. And in the same way, he's speaking into these situations. And really, he's saying, be a great witness to Jesus in your home with your children, even in the context of slavery and how you behave one to another. So firstly, wives and husbands. Verse 22 flows grammatically as one sentence from verse 21. There's no repeat of the verb submit. So more accurately, it says, submit one to another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your husbands. And then he comments that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, that wives are to submit to husbands in everything, and the husband to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Uh, This needs unpacking for us today. The first thing that's really important for me to say is that I do not believe whatsoever that Paul is establishing or seeking to establish a hierarchical order in marriage. I do not believe that is what he's doing. I don't believe that is possible that what he is trying to do. There are some portions of the church and some households where it's been taken to mean the husband is the boss. The husband is the head of the wife. That means the husband's the boss. That is not what Paul is saying here. And although the words are there, the husband is the head of the wife, we need to understand this is not a hierarchical statement. I'll give you four reasons why I believe this. Firstly, the word head means source. It's not a hierarchical term. It's not a term of authority. The Greek kephale, it's not wrong to translate it head, but in the same way, the, the source of a river is the head of a river. This is the meaning of head here. It's not an authoritative statement. It goes on to say, as Christ is the, the head of the church of which he is the savior. You know, Christ has laid down his life, but he is a source. Philip Payne in his book, Man and Woman, One in Christ, if you want to study this further, gives 15 reasons why kephale is rendered better source than authority. The woman comes from the man in creation, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. And yet Genesis is also clear, he created them in his image and likeness. Male and female, he created them. The woman is called the easer to the man, a helper, yes, but a helper in the same language that God is a helper to Israel. That there is no subordination in creation, that the woman is no less than the man, and I believe the same here. 1 Corinthians 11 says it's the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Well, think about that statement. It's the same word, kephale. That the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. The creeds have established that there is no hierarchy in the Godhead. There is no subordination in the Godhead. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Co-equal, co-living, co-thinking together. And yet it says in their kephale that the Father is the kephale of the Son. In the same way that the, the man is the kephale 
of the woman. It's not a hierarchical term. Secondly, Paul is challenging the existing hierarchical structure by the very way he writes. He validates wives in a countercultural way. You know, the, the culture would have said something very different. Here, he's saying, Christian ladies, you've been chosen. Christian ladies, you've been adopted as sons. There's entirely repositioning of the woman inside the gospel. This is a liberating gospel for women in the context of the culture. By the way he writes, there is liberty. He goes on to say in Galatians, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one. Can we say one? You're all one in Christ. This is Paul's gospel. It's his message, if you will. Thirdly, the instruction to wives comes in the context of mutual submission. Submit one to another, uh, wives to your husbands. How can those statements coexist? Well, I've come to understand it like this. I think it's, it's as if it's an emphasis. It's as if Paul was saying, husbands, submit to your wives, Wives submit to your husbands. I'll say it again, wives submit to your husbands. In the same way, we are instructed to love one another. Now, I'll come to it in a moment. The husbands are charged uh, to love their wives as Christ loves the church. The wives are not off the hook for loving their husbands. We're called as Christians to love one another. How much more inside our marriages? It's as if Paul would say, wives, love your husbands Husbands love your wives. I'll say it again. Husbands love your wives. I think there's an emphasis here, but it's not a hierarchical position. And fourthly, the context of wifely submission is husbandly, Christ-like love. This is really important. I don't believe Paul is saying only submit if your husband is perfect, right? Or we're in real trouble. But a modern husband might ask, well, am I the head of my wife and what does it mean? Well, I would say, well, what, what do you mean by that? Because if you love your wife as Christ loved the church, if you've given yourself up for her and you're giving yourself up for her, if you're helping her to become ever more radiant and all that she can be through your self-giving love and your selfless life as Christ has with the church, then yes, I suppose you qualify as head. Of course, in such a marriage, a wife would be crazy to do anything other than to be submissive. Her submissiveness would be only for her own benefit. But all of that said, the instruction to the wives is there. There's an emphasis. Wives submit to your husbands in everything. Similarly, in 1 Peter 3, the slightly softer language which says, Wives, be submissive to your husbands. I think this is helpful to me. See, my conviction is if this was an instruction from Paul that was hierarchical, it would be different. He would be saying, wives are babies subject to. He cannot be saying this. So I believe he's calling out an attitude and a posture inside of marriage. A gentleness, a yielding, a helpfulness that Christian wives are called to be easily deferring, preferring, filled of with grace, not argumentative or difficult or forceful. To be clear, this is not a charge to women over men. This is a charge to wives in the context of marriage. Let me say that again. This is not a charge to women vis-a-vis men. This is a charge to wives inside of marriage. If you're a married woman, there is a charge to you, I believe, of a posture of submissiveness that is there for the men, submit one to another, but is somehow especially there for the women. I cannot deny what the scriptures say. 
But to be clear, this is not asking wives to be timid or downtrodden or suppressed in any way. It, it is there's the, the draw of husbands to bring forth their wives as radiant, as Christ is bringing forth a radiant bride. We're not looking for, for submissive, downtrodden women. We're looking for radiant women. But there's something here that, that the Bible brings forth of a posture of gentleness inside a marriage that I believe is the wisdom of God to us if we will have the grace to accept it. I also want to say this, that our ladies at CLM, in fact, all at CLM, please never allow these words or any other reason given by your husband, anyone else, or even yourself to be used to accept controlling, abusive, manipulative, coercive behavior towards or over you, because this is not of God. And if you find yourself in a position where you don't know how to break out of that type of relationship, come and talk to us pastorally, and we will seek to help you and stand with you in prayer. For that, hold this thought a moment about wives submitting, because the charge comes to husbands that is altogether more demanding. It has to be said, husbands, love your wives, not even as Christ, but just as Christ. Katuos, there's an emphasis here. Husbands, love your wives just as as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul goes on to describe Christ's love for the church. He gave himself up. He died. He gave his whole life, making her holy. This ongoing care, the work of sanctification, that he is at work with us and in us to make us better, to improve us. That this is, he's saying, just as Christ is with the church. Husbands, this is how you should love your wives. Cleansing through water, which will be understood by most to mean baptism. Through the word, the reading of scripture, bringing her to radiance, holy and blameless. This is Christ. Flourishing, thriving, excelling. Husbands, this is our blueprint. As demanding as it is, Peterson in the message says, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked with giving, not getting. It goes on to say, love your wife like your body. You feed it, you care for it. Love her like this too. Be attentive to her needs, you might be able to say. He said, I dare say this was a massive wake-up call in a culture where there was an implication inside the Greco-Roman world that husbands could use their wives, could control their wives, or even just tolerate their wives. And Paul says, no, the Christian husband is different. You must love your wives in a way that the culture does not see. And this is challenging for all of us. You know, there are some marriages that function as though the husband has read Wives submit, but somehow fail to read husband's love. Let me say there's no place in the Christian marriage for get my tea, iron my shirt, you're in the way, I'm watching the football. Although women, it would be helpful if you did move aside when we are <laughs> watching the football. Early in marriage, Esther and myself had a disagreement, which I, I guess would be hard to believe, but we are human also. And uh, I remember feeling very frustrated with her. I remember getting to a place where I prayed. I said, God, you've got to help me with this woman. <laughs> and, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, love her. Seriously, love her? I was ready to brain her. But I, in that moment, the Holy Spirit chastised me, said, love her. And I had to get a hold of myself. I had to reposition myself. I had to 
come towards her with tenderness and express my love to her. And immediately that which had been uh, uh, tension in our marriage changed in an instant. And I understood a key. There's a wisdom from God here. There's a wisdom to us guys that will do us well. So what can we glean from this? Well, it can be easy sometimes inside of our marriage, those, those of us that are married, to look across the table rather than into the mirror at this moment. I encourage us to look into the mirror, not across the table. Ask yourself this question. How is my submission? Submit one to another. Am I humble towards my spouse? Am I listening, really listening? We have weak spots as individuals, as all of us do. And Esther is my biggest fan, but she will help me understand when I get too focused. Just say, Martin, you're very focused at the moment. I've learned to understand that means I am not present even when I'm in the room. <laughs> I felt I was fully there, but clearly not. The lights were on, but no one was home. And I've come to understand that, that this is not how I should be as husband, as father. And she helps me very gently to understand, are we listening? Am I making my marriage a joy for my spouse? How could I serve my husband, my wife better? We could ask, how is my love level? Jesus says, love one another. If married, you took a vow. If you're getting married, you will take a vow. Seen some engaged couples in the room here today that you will love, you promise to love, you make a covenant to love. How are you doing? Am I making my husband or my wife feel loved? Gary Chapman, many of you will be aware of his book, The Five Love Languages. He talks about people feeling loved in different ways. He describes words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, physical touch as language. Some of us, we speak a different language. You know, some of us, we, we don't actually, we're grateful for gifts, but what we need to feel love is quality time. This is my wife's primary love language. I can say to her, I love you till I'm blue in the face, but if I give her no time, she doesn't feel loved. So we have to come to understand how we can make our husband or wife feel loved. Am I enabling my husband or my wife to thrive. And, and here I wonder if there is something of the genius of the divine in the emphasis that is found in these words. It would be my observation in life, and some of you are more mature and seasoned in life than I am, but it would be my observation that wives especially thrive when they know they're loved. They're treasured, valued, appreciated by their husbands if they're married. For a lot of ladies, there can be a battle with self-worth or insecurity. Maybe it's a vulnerability that's part of our fallen humanity, but being loved by their husbands is somehow especially powerful. And husbands especially seem to thrive to me when they know they are affirmed, valued, and respected. Men can struggle with their insecurities. Maybe it's part of our fallen humanity with confidence, but being affirmed is particularly powerful for them. And so Paul concludes this section with verse 33. Each one of you must love his wife and the wife must respect her husband. I think a summary statement of an emphasis. And just before I move on, may I be pastoral for a moment? Husbands, CLM husbands, love your wives. Really love them. And some of you, you've forgotten how blessed you are. Some of you, you're stubborn. 
You don't communicate. You're moody, but you'd never admit it. You only express passion with regards to sport and food. You're inattentive. You've stopped wooing her, but she'd love to still be wooed. Am I right, ladies? Yeah. All right, you're not that strong, all right. <laughs> Gracious. I'll speak to you in a moment. Some of your husbands, you've stopped gazing into her eyes, but it would do her good and it would do you no harm. You make no or little effort with your appearance. You haven't booked a date for too long or left a love letter or a little note or surprised her. You're predictable. But CLM husbands, I want to say you can do it. You can win her still. You can romance her. You can make her feel special. And as you do, you'll find she'll thrive. She'll flourish. If the girl you fell in love with withdrew somewhere, she'll emerge again. And she loves you and she wants you to be her man. Am I right? Wives. CLM wives, be submissive. Value him. Honor him. Affirm him. Respect him. Some of you, you give your husbands a hard time. You nag him. And it doesn't help. You criticize him. Build him up. Some of you can be hard work. You're what we might call high maintenance. <laughs> and sometimes you can be a bit difficult and you know it and you choose it. Some of you expect him to be telepathic, understanding what you want. But he isn't telepathic. You ask him to choose, but then you're moody when he chooses wrong. Give him a break. Be his biggest fan. Cheer him on. You can do it. Compliment him. Demonstrate respect. Let him be your man. If the young guy you fell in love with has withdrawn, he'll emerge as you build him up. Am I right? So, Father, help us. We thank you that marriage is your idea. And we come to you with all our failings and our brokenness. But we thank you you are here to help right in the midst of our marriages. I pray, Lord, for those who sit in this service without their husband or wife for whatever reason and feel the pain of this message. Would you be especially close to them? And those of us who are married or are getting married, would you help us to use your blueprint for an outstanding marriage and the honor of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Secondly, and quickly, and I'll move very quickly here, particularly in this service, Paul turns his attention to children and parents. To reiterate, Paul values children even by addressing them. I can imagine the churches in Ephesus, the children gathered, and Paul, the great apostle, some of whom they will have heard of, a few of whom they may have even met him, I'm not sure on the exact timings, but to think that he says, now children, wow, their ears would have pricked up. This is so countercultural. And he calls two things out. Number one, obedience. Number two, honor. Obedience and honor. I want to say to all the children in the room, and I'm aware a lot of our younger children are out, but some of our bigger children are in. The Bible says, obey your parents in the Lord for it's right. It's a, a stronger statement than submission. 
Of course, the changes of parenting, uh, the, the changing seasons of parenting happen as our children grow from the command phase of early children to the counseling or coaching phase as they come through adolescence into young adulthood and then the companion stage of later life. And we have to adjust as parents. But children are called to obey their parents. Jesus, age 12, who was defying the wisdom of the religious leaders in Jerusalem, goes back to Mary, his mother, and her husband, Joseph. And it says uh, in Luke 2:51, and he became obedient to them. He was altogether wiser than them, but he became obedient to them. It was not only to receive the wisdom of their maturity, but something to be formed and fashioned in him as he grew and prepared for life. Now, I understand some of our teenagers, you, you will not think your parents to be particularly wise at this moment. Mark Twain said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. When I got to be 21, I was astonished how much he'd learned in seven years. <laughs> but children, you will do well before God to be obedient. Not to be difficult, not to be argumentative. To be obedient because this is God's wisdom for your life. And something will be being fashioned in you that you cannot understand. That's not about the issue at hand. It is about the formation of character in you for adulthood. And will cause you to thrive later on in life. Of course... If as a young person you're asked to compromise your faith or do something damaging, please do speak to one of us as leaders or youth leader. Obedience should always be the norm for children. Disobedience the rare exception. But again, in a controlling or coercive or abusive situation, we would want to try and help our young people. Young people are also called to honor. We're reminded of the commandment here in Ephesians that it comes with a promise, honor your father and your mother, that you may live long in the land, that it will go well with you. Of course, some parents may be absent and it's impossible to obey them in that practical sense, but we can honor them. Some of our parents have behaved dishonorably, but we can honor them if for nothing else than this, then they gave us life. And honor is how we speak about them, how we speak to them, and how we consider them in our hearts, and if this is a struggle, I advise you, young man or young woman, to ask the Holy Spirit to help you in this regard. And Paul then says, Fathers, you think he'd say parents, he says, Fathers. Maybe this is according to the culture where the fathers take the significant leading role in the household, but this is Father's Day. I, I'll speak to the fathers. It says two things don't exasperate and bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, don't incite. Don't provoke, don't upset to anger. You know, I want to encourage us dads to be great disciplers, great discipliners, but with love and with grace, that we always want the best for our children and that we never lose control of ourselves as we seek to outwork godly discipline of our children. And bringing them up, the Bible says, in the training and instruction of the Lord. The message says, taking them by the hand and leading them in the way of the master. How are you doing, dads? Are you sharing your spiritual walk with them? Are you helping them grow in God? Are you letting them see that you trust God and you obey God and God is helping you in your life? Do you pray with them? Of course, in a screen and headphone culture and social media, it's not all conducive to interaction, but fathers, it's your responsibility to make it happen. Eat together with screens off whenever you can. Make one-to-one -one time. Keep relationship alive. Do something that they 
enjoy to do and pray for and with your children because these young people entrusted to you will soon be adults. What are you putting into them? And if you need help, I suggest you ask the Holy Spirit to help you because he has wisdom for every situation. I know some incredible stories. I have a friend who is a church leader who was called to the school for, for not the first time to collect his son who had run into difficulty. And as he was on his way, he was so furious. And he was trying to work out what on earth to do with this young man. And the Holy Spirit said, take him to McDonald's. Take him to McDonald's. So I'll give him McDonald's. But the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart and the, the young man who was ready for a fight, who was ready for a conflict, who was ready to be dressed down for the umpteenth time was shocked when he was taken to McDonald's and an incredible conversation opened up. He poured forth some of his own pain. A relationship was strengthened and now this young man in his late 20s is serving God in full-time ministry, married to an incredible young lady and, and a credit to his mum and dad. The Holy Spirit is infinitely wise. McDonald's isn't always the answer. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit has wisdom for every situation. And finally, slaves and masters. As mentioned already, we cannot take this as an endorsement of societal structure. It's simply a practical exhortation to kingdom living. Those that are in the church, during the Roman Empire, it's estimated there were six, 60 million slaves not just manual workers, domestic servants, but doctors, teachers, administrators were within the slavery system. We thank God we've come to see uh, slavery as an abomination. We thank God that it's been massively eradicated in the earth. And we thank God for the work of, of charities like Hope for Justice, who we are proud to partner with at CLM, that are working tirelessly to abolish, abolish modern-day slavery and human trafficking. In Paul's day, for a slave to, to escape and break free was very dangerous, not only if caught, but would render them homeless, unemployed, destitute. And Paul here isn't inciting rebellion, but inciting grace. Slaves, Jesus says, excuse me, obey your masters just as you would obey Christ. When being observed to win favor, but at all times, from your heart, he says, what a great word. Obey them from your heart. Serve them wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. For God is a rewarder. Well, what's this got to do with us? Thankfully, none of us are slaves in the room. But there are kingdom principles here, I believe, for every worker, every employee, every subordinate, every member of a team. What is in your hand, do it as unto the Lord. This is what Paul is saying. Set an example in integrity, in your work ethic, in faithfulness, in attitude, in positivity. Let your lives be a testament. I want to say to you, if you work in a workplace, let your life be a testimony in how you work. Maybe you're in a place that you don't want to be, you're fed up with your job, your, your boss is a tyrant, you don't like the people that you work with, but do it as unto the Lord. And I can testify, you can find joy in that place as you do it as unto the Lord. This is what Paul is saying. This is kingdom living. And I believe as, as you honor God in that place, it is likely he will move you out in due season and give you something that is altogether more fruitful. And masters, treat your slaves, Paul says, in the same way. Wow, he brings an injunction to the slaves and then says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Uh, what is he saying? I think he says, if they respect you, respect them. 
This is radical teaching. I love it. This is the power of the gospel. He says, Masters, you both have a master in heaven, and he will be judge of you both, and there will be no favoritism. He says, These ones under your care, they, they are not just a, a chattel to you. They are not, in fact, at all a chattel to you. They are your brothers. They are your sisters. And you will stand before God Almighty side by side with them. So treat them as such. Treat them well. See Jesus in them. Do not threaten them. And so today, for every boss in the room, if you have subordinates in the workplace, treat them well. Show them respect. Give them grace. As bosses, we may have to challenge behavior or performance. I understand that. But let's do so with respect and love. And if those people who are under our care in that sense were to come into church and see you here, would your workplace witness be a help or a hindrance? I trust it would be a help. Would the band come and join me? Time is gone. We're in teaching mode today, but I pray this has been helpful to some of us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your blueprint for living. We thank you, Lord, kingdom living is beyond our understanding. Thank you, Lord, your ways, as we prayed at the very start, are higher than our ways. And Lord, we trust you. And I pray, help us inside our marriages. Help us, Lord, inside our families. Help us, the children and young people in the room, and help those of us that are parents. Help us, Lord, in our workplace. Lord, we thank you, and we pray for Hope for Justice and others, Project Rescue today. And we pray for the, the eradication of slavery in the earth. But we draw principles here that in our places of work, we would honor you with our hearts and our attitude. We would work wholeheartedly as unto you, that our lives would be a testimony, that how we treat others, those as it were above us and those as it were below us, we would see you in them and we would submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Our heart disposition would be a humble one and in so doing, we would honor you. And I pray, Lord, as we seek to live this out, cause our marriages to flourish, cause our families to flourish, cause our workplace witness to allow us to be promoted and exalted because your ways work. And I pray, Lord, we would be amazed at your wisdom and how it shapes our lives. So help us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen.